0: All right, so January's goal is to. Well, let me share with you a story that grabs hold of what I want January to be for us. On Christmas Day, we were supposed to fly out at about one or two o'clock. Text message came through to say the plane had been delayed, and then to say the plane had been cancelled, and then to say the backup plane had been delayed. And what we realized is we had now three or four hours extra to fill up on Christmas Day at home. And so we thought the only thing you can do on a hot Christmas Day is pull out the brand new slip and slide from Grandma, right? So we got the slip and slide out. We positioned it brilliantly. We turned the tap on and it kind of dribbled out over there. So we needed a bit of detergent. So we put the detergent and then Haying decides to give it a go. So he winds up, he runs up, he launches himself onto this thing and he goes, There was, wasn't much movement, was there? And so something needed to happen. So so I said, come, come back here. And I picked him up and I had a run up and got to the edge of the slide and let him fly. Was that not the best 45 seconds of your life? He just kept going and going, like through the pool, on the grass, back fence. It was amazing. I gave him some oomph. And that's, that's what I wanted to, to do in January. Ori and I, we want to we wanna create them spiritual oomph that carries us through this year, that sends us flying on this trajectory and this path that we perhaps didn't think was possible or, or perhaps didn't think um, we could ever do or see, but is full of God's expectancy. It's full of God's promise. It's full of what God wants to give us and God wants to bring to us. And that's what we want to do. So this is part of the oomph. So if you feel a bit of oomph, that's why. It's Hamish's fault. <clears throat> so, um, a couple of days before Christmas, the phone rang. And on the other end of the phone was our friend Greg, Greg Dart. And Greg says, you will not believe what I've just seen. <laughs> I'm like, well, clearly I'm not going to believe it because you called me on your holiday to tell me about something you've seen. He goes, well, we're in a little place called which It's just down the road from a place called Seymour. And we're looking at a plaque and the plaque has your name on it. I didn't even know the plaque existed. I was like, no way. Send a photo, send a photo. So what he was referring to was a situation that happened where this took place. Have I talked to you guys about this? All right, this is this is brilliant, right? So Monday morning, phone rings. I've been in ministry for six months in Seymour. Phone rings. Pick up the phone. And the lady on the other end is frantic. And she says, oh, my gosh, I bet you've been busy all morning. To which I said, no, no, I just got up. And she said, the truck has ran through your church. Now, the manse was across from the car park and the church in Seymour was on the other side of the car park. And so I looked across the blinds, across the car park, and I said to her on the phone, I think it's a very small truck because I can't see anything. And she says, no, it's in the Gamby. But really? So I'm dry. I'll go and check it out. So I jumped in my car, I drove up 15 minutes up the road to Nagambi thinking, this is going to be like a tiny truck, but if I can embellish it, it's going to be a cracker of a story to tell. Anyway, this is what I saw. This is what I, that, that was, that's my little church. Well, it's actually not mine, it's Jesus' church. I and mean, It's actually not, it's just Nagambi's building, right? But God was doing some stuff in there with the six or so people in there. Um, and there's a whole bunch of crazy things connected and attached to that story, which I can share another time, They're not not for today's um, sermon, but they pulled the truck out, the building fell down, and then many, many years later, they put a plaque there that Greg Dart saw and went, ha, Ralph's famous, as much as you can be famous in the game, and called me to let me know, which was awesome. Anyway, a couple of days after this happened, and it was bedlam that I had, I think I had 32 um, interviews with different media outlets, because it's so iconic. Right? So that's insane. Our pianist at the time was from New York. Well, he, he's always from New York. Um, but at the time, he was back visiting New York. And he saw it at the New York Times. This church that he played in every week with <laughs> a truck through. He's like, what is going on? So it kind, of, it kind of went viral all around the world before stuff really went properly viral. Um, and a couple of days later, I'd, I got a tip that there was a petition that had been written and drawn up it was in the local post office. So I went into the local post office and I looked and fair, sure enough on the bench was this petition and the petition said, if the church can be rebuilt, will you give time or energy or materials or funds to see our chapel, our church restored? And there were 200 signatures on that, right? 200 signatures there were currently five and a half people going to the church every week and the half was we're not sure if he was dead or not but he kept turning up right so it was yeah, it was really low numbers and 200 people from the community are like yes we want to rebuild the church so I looked at this and to, okay, I said to the lady across the um, post office bench who I think thought this was quite funny I said can I put one next to it a petition Because goes yeah sure it's like everyone's doing it go on And so I went and got this thing and it was like this Excel sheet with the the columns on it. At the top it says, if the church is rebuilt, I'll come. And I put it next to this thing and came back in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks time, the other one was absolutely chock-a-block full. How many names were on my petition? Two. Two? And one of them went to the church. Every week. Ronda. So I was like, what, what people wanted was a nice church building they can look at, not a movement that can change the world. So when you when you hear the understanding of church, what, what does that resonate? I, I, I want some feedback. What, what is the church? What does the church mean to you? When you hear the word church, what does that conjure up in your thinking? Community? Family, community, coming together. I think that's what those, all of us here. <laughs> hear. Karen's arm movements, just waving and stuff, that's great. Sundays? Yep. We could really mess you up and move to Saturdays. Show of hands. Oh, Fiona. (laughs) Yes. The power of God in community and darkness, yep. When the people gather, yep. Fantastic. yeah structure and yeah pomp and ceremony that sort of thing yeah 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 Yeah, that's interesting it's part of it so Bridget Willard says church isn't where you meet church isn't a building church is what you do church is who you are church is the human outworking of the person of Jesus Christ let's not go to church let's be church and then the challenge for us is how often do we go to church rather than be the church because if we're only the church when we're gathered and we gather every Sunday this means to see the the human end or the divine indwelling in the hu- humanity the personification of Christ and the power of the spirit it means we need to get together outside of these walls for, it to, for us to be the church and not just go to the church. I'm part of the church singularly, but I can't be the church if I'm not with others in the church. Now, we've got a long way to go on this, and I'll tell you why. Every time we drive past this building, every time, I have the same conversation with Zari and Hane. And his voice comes from the back of the, uh, the back seats. And it says, um, it says there's the church, Dad. There's the church. And I say, Where? And they go, over there. And I go, no, it's not. And they go, don't be silly, Dad. You're always being silly. There's the church. I'm like, that's not the church. Huh? You're the church. Huh? You're, you're the church. You guys are the church. <laughs> Preaching to them. You guys are the church. Church. When, when, when the people of God come together... That's where the church is. That's where the, the God says, I will pour out my spirit on the church. My 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 spirit will be present when the people of God come together to do the things of God. That's the church. And so get my preacher to these to these kids, to my kids. And then there's silence. Zari goes, Why do they call that building the church then? That's a pretty good idea, really good question. You should ask your mother about that one. <laughs> So the conversation's happened about 10 times. I'm sure it'll keep happening. And, and, and what, what I've found is the idea that the church is somewhere we go is so deeply ingrained both in our psyches and in our society that we have to rebel against that. That's, it's not just going to happen naturally and easily that we're going to go, ah, oh, we're part of the church. This is how the church looks. It's going to be built into our psyches. That it's a place we go to, not who we are. And it's the safest way to think about the church. Think about it like... It's, it's great. It, it requires nothing of me. I just go for an hour or two and I try and put on my best behaviour and in, not in Ori's case, in Lyndall's case, the best clothes. Um, and I try and, I look apart I look I've done my duty and I'm off the hook. Oh, you've got new shoes. Had to do something to improve yourself, hey? <laughs> well, I'll use that later. Uh, so... So what is the church? Well, Jesus was the first person to use the word church as we understand it, which is really handy that it came from Jesus' mouth. So we've got that to wrestle with. And he used a cultural word at the time that made sense to everybody who wasn't a Jew. And there was no such things as Christians then. So everybody outside this little sphere that he might have been in. He used the word that everybody understood. And what we've done is we've taken that word and we've dragged it through 2,000 years of Christendom and it's transformed, it's become irrelevant because the society now understands that word church is something very different than what Jesus intended it when he first said it. So he first said it in Matthew 16, Verse 18. He said, I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. So, have you ever stopped to think, how can a building that doesn't move knock down gates? Oh, hang on. Maybe we've got the verse completely and utterly Wrong, right? See, the particular cultural word that Jesus used was the word ecclesia. And ecclesia meant different things depending on which context you used it in. So, the context Jesus uses it in is a gathering of people on a mission. They're, they're moving toward an end point. They're, they're gathered together, they're on a mission. And when Jesus said it, the people hearing it would have heard the equivalent of us saying a protest, or a mob, or a riot. Right? So when you think about those things, you go, oh, that's a lot of energy. That's a lot of energy moving in a particular direction that, depending on how orderly it is, might be beneficial or it might be detrimental. So Jesus was telling them that he was building a movement of people that couldn't be stopped by the gates of hell. That's awesome, right? I'm building this group of people, this movement of people that can't be stopped by the gates of hell um, and, and we are actually going to take back what hell has commandeered. What hell thinks it owns, what hell has infected, what hell has broken down, we are going to take that back. We're going to redeem it. We're going to see it made new. Now, that means what Jesus was talking about was radically changing all of society. Right? He was speaking into the political spheres and the social spheres, into education, into industry, into creativity. God was, Jesus was saying, we're going to affect everything and the whole thing because this riot, this mob, this protest that's going to storm through the city is going to gain momentum and it's going to change things. Now, that is a radically different picture of church than culturally what we've settled with. Right, When church is a place that I go to, I actually expect it to serve me. Because I made all the effort to go there, right? That's what church is about. But when I understand it from Jesus' perspective, when I go, oh, if that's the church, then, then that fullest, the, the, the church cannot operate at its fullest capacity without me. And without me bringing who I am or what God has given me to it. In fact, it changes the way not only I think about church, it changes the way I think about my faith. It changes everything. See, if church is a thing I go to, nothing is expected of me except that I turn up. But if church is a movement, then that's demanding. And that's kind of scary and it can be uncomfortable. And it can mean there's a whole bunch of unknowns that I'm moving towards that I might not understand. It means that I have got to work out what I can bring to this and, and contribute that and deliver that. It means that I need to prepare myself to be part of this riot and protest. That if it goes well, other people aren't going to like. The powers that it comes across are not going to like being met by this. It means I've got to be dialed in to the Holy Spirit. It means... What this is, looking around us, matters far less than who we are as the church and the people. Now that, on a side note, brings me to a very important point. I think we need to do something about this space. Not right now, but soon, yeah, like, it just it just says to people, no, 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 don't come in. <laughs> We're lovely, but don't come in. So... It's on the agenda, right? It's, we just have a think, pray about it, be creative. We're going to do something about this space because I think it's actually working against the momentum that we're building toward. All right, enough said. So when Jesus said, well, enough said for now. <laughs> so, so when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, the picture he wants sitting in our minds is of this holy riot moving through the city not destructing, not being a force of destruction for people and businesses and community and everything, but being a force of reconciliation and restoration, of bringing love and grace and hope and strength and healing to the city. So, so we think the most positive expression of a riot, of a protest, of a mob moving forward with, with, with focus on what they want to do. And if we take this seriously and we take Jesus at his word, he says he's going to do it. He's going to do all the heavy lifting. That's great. He says, I will build my church. For ages and ages, I thought as a pastor it was my job to build the church. And then secondly, that it was our job to build the church. But Jesus doesn't mix words. He says, I will build my church. So, so Jesus is leading this holy rampage through the city. And, and he's calling me to be a part of that. And so if he's, I better be dialed into what he's saying. It, it Automatically, this metaphor elevates the importance of prayer, right? All of a sudden, it's like, oh, 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 if Jesus is doing that, I better be on the right page and know what he's doing, know where he's going and know what part... I play. I play. I better pray with others. I better pray that other people might join this thing that's taking place. I better expect God to move. I better be inviting people to become part of it. I better be living in prayer and seeking more and more and more of God. Now we've met on Monday mornings and Friday mornings for quite a while, and we'll meet again tomorrow morning. But the Friday, the Monday morning, I think it was Christmas Eve. Was Christmas Day on a Tuesday? So Christmas Eve, when we met, I had this really clear thought kind of grab me when we were meeting and when we were praying, and it was this: What if, what if God's purpose and mission for us is simply that we pray, and we pray as hard as we can and as much as we can, and we press into Him and trust Him as much as we can, so that all the other churches grow? what if that's the thing that he calls us to and at the end of the day when we bump into him he asks us how'd you go with that how'd you go with that i'm not sure we'd be like high five worthy yet right i'm not sure we be like yeah killed it we did so good did you see we'd be like oh can you ask us a different question can you ask us like how much we serve the community or how many sausages we cooked or how we put time into this or how we worshiped. But I think you've got asked us that prayer question. Now, I think I think God has a whole host of things He wants us to do. I don't think at the end of time God's going to make us feel lousy for trying to trust Him and be obedient. But prayer is so integral, it's so foundational, it's so part of this that we have to raise the temperature in village of our prayer, of our need for God, of our desperate, like. Yearning for God, that God might do more in us and do more with us and do more in our community, and see more people's lives radically changed, and it happens through prayer. See, our job is to make disciples, right? Jesus says, "I'll build the church. He says you, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to command, to, uh, yeah, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age." Now, how do you make a disciple? Well, really simply and really quickly, it always starts with prayer. There's always an invitation into deeper relationship with Jesus. And then you teach someone how to read the Bible so that God can speak to them. If you do those three things and the Spirit of God is real, everything else takes care of itself. The problem is the simplest aspects of faith have become so mundane that we're like, yeah... I've heard it forever, like I know the answer is prayer and God and Jesus and the Bible. I know that. So, so we need to redeem the beauty. We need to find the beauty in these things that God has given us. So we need to engage and push into them with expectant hearts that God is going to do more and more and more. So at the end of this year, we can go, look what God did. Like we did nothing but sit on our bums and pray. And God did all this amazing Stuff now you won't be able to sit in your bum for long if you start praying because then God will start telling you to do more stuff and you know it works out like that. But starting February we want to we want to build on this momentum. We're going to read the read the New Testament um, every day, and we're going to preach on it on the Sundays. We're going to do like small groups around it. We're going to engage in this, and what we want to do is is create this discipline in in us of of surrendering to God of submitting to God saying God what do you want to say and do in me and in us as a church and we're going to really push into that because if we're not being disciples we can't make disciples right and it's so easy to go I'm a disciple I went to church but that doesn't exist anymore it's I am the church and if I am the church oh wow I, I need to trust in God to pull this off and therefore I become a disciple Now he says this, he said, go make disciples. You know what's fascinating with that? That first word, go. It's all about movement. It's not just like sit or wait or hang out. It's go. I will build my church. You go and make disciples. It's this call to action that Jesus says, this is what I'm taking care of. You do this. So if he's leading a holy riot through the city, and we're part of that. And we're following along. And he says, go make disciples. That means I say to people, come join this thing. It's kind of crazy. We're following this guy, Jesus. We're loving and trusting this guy, Jesus, who's leading on this thing that doesn't make sense to anyone except people that are part of it. But it makes a massive difference. I'll introduce you to him. I'll help you understand how this whole thing works. I'll I'll help you listen to what, what, what the instructions of Christ are so that you might do it. That becomes the metaphor of what discipleship becomes. It's like, come join this crazy thing that I'm part of. Not come to a building, not come to a gathering, but come to a movement that God is moving forward. Because I am making disciples as we go into that. That's called discipleship. It's what Jesus did with his 12 disciples. That's the responsibility that we're given. That's why Village exists, to make disciples. That's why we need to be aware of what we're calling people into. That we're not saying come to a church for an hour on Sunday, because that will change everything. We're saying belong to this movement that Jesus is leading that will change everything. So where is Jesus going? Like, where is he leading this thing to? Where, where, where is it moving towards? Well, well, he tells us he sets his sights firmly on the gates of hell. That's, that's what he is moving towards. He is committed with laser-like tenacity of taking back what hell has stolen. And on the cross, he disempowered hell. He disempowered sin of its power. He unlocked the gates. And then he says, my movement's just going to crash straight through them. Be part of it. Join in. At this conference I was at, the, um, the director shared something that I hadn't seen before. He said, um, he said, gates are actually a defensive mechanism you put up gates to keep people out like right? gates aren't a weapon I mean they probably could be used as a weapon wouldn't you say Chris in your line of work in a creative way but um, but gates are traditionally they're, they're an act of defense an act of defiance and so when the when the fact that Jesus says oh there's gates of hell gate hell is not on the offensive we live and we believe and we think like oh wow what a look what evil is is going to do look how difficult it is but we have We're following this Jesus, this holy riot that that says not even the gates of hell will be able to withstand what we are bringing through it. It should shake us to go, instead of sitting back and going, look how difficult the world is or hard it is or broken or sinful or how destroyed people's lives are. I'm called to follow Jesus to see that redeemed and restored. So Jesus, what do you want me to do? And I'll keep asking until you tell me. Until you show me, in fact, I'm going to keep doing stuff until I get it right. Because I'm convinced God wants this movement, right? So often we sit and go, I'm not going to do anything until God tells me. And God's like, get up! I've already said go make disciples, get up! That's what our mission is. That's what we're following Jesus in. It's not about being part of a building once a week. It's about becoming a people who together trust and follow Jesus as he leads us on mission. It's awesome, right? So do we need a Sunday gathering? It's the obvious question that pops up. Do we need this? Oh, you're all freaking out. Am I going to pull the plug? Mm, No, we absolutely need this. Absolutely need this. The gathering isn't about us though. It's about God, right? So it's about us coming together to worship God, to bless God, to praise God, to pray to God, to, to give to God, to love God. And as we do that, something miraculous takes place. We are replenished. It's like, what? How did that happen? But we know it. We know when we're caught up, when we're caught up in God. That we go, oh, somehow I feel more together and whole and healed and, and, and put back together again. And we need that because what our mission is, our mission is to with Jesus confront the gates of hell. So we need to be put back together again because we'll get beaten around, beaten up, doing that, right? problem is we draw the line just across the door threshold and we say all right I did the church thing what do i, what do, I do now and, and, and the scripture never understands church like that so no no we are the church where we gather and where we're scattered where we're active and where we um contemplative see we become the church when we're mobilized When we start praying together and serving together and showing the practical love of God and inviting people over and praying for strangers and expecting miracles and feeding the hungry and being generous and forgiving those who hurt us and blessing the good of our communities and sharing our faith. And then we return back to pray and to be filled and to be loved because we love God. He says, let me just pour my presence into you. Okay, you're good? Go and do it again. And so we have a picture of this. In Acts chapter 2, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. It does not say in the church. And we know that that actually didn't happen much in the church. It happened outside the church, right? So they were giving themselves and then they were coming back to be taught, to be replenished, to be strengthened, to be um, enheartened, to go out again. All of the believers, they were together and everyone had everything in common. They sold property, they gave possessions to give to anyone who had need. There's not necessarily people in the church, right? So they were giving so the people that had need that they knew they could bless. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. It was so important because of what they did in between gatherings. That they literally put their lives on the line. We're so fortunate we don't have that struggle. Maybe we're unfortunate at times. But, but we have, they, they gave themselves completely, they poured themselves out because they were so captured by this Saviour who gave them everything. Do you see how expectant? Do you see how expectant and exciting and desperate the gathering becomes when we're pouring ourselves out completely for Christ in between? It's like, I need this. And God better show up and God better do something because I've given him my all throughout the week. The function of the church is not to fatten us up spiritually. It's to replenish the spiritual energy that we've burnt during the week. Which leads us to a really important question that we need to grapple with. What on earth does the church as a movement look like? Like now, in the 21st century. And so what we want to do, for five or ten minutes, probably for five minutes actually, we need to huddle in groups of three or four and answer that question. What what does the church look like as a movement? What, What would it look like if it were what Jesus had intended it to be, understanding or what it has become is I like, go to church, I do the church thing and I leave the church because God says you are the church. What does that look like in this day and age for us in Burley? And then I'd love to hear like, if you've got some cracker ideas that come out of it. Like, This isn't just like let's do this and then feel nice. This is like, all right, so what's God calling us to? What does this actually look like? What does this mean we should do as a church, and I don't mean that we have to change, necessarily change this. It doesn't have to be about that. But what does a church as a movement in the 21st century look like? What are some of those elements? What's important about it? All right, take five minutes, and that way you'll be creative, and all the ideas will just spark. Groups of three or four, or whatever you like, just wrestle with that question.